Hello and welcome to AFL Fantasy Experts Weekly Podcast, Talking Fantasy. Ahead of round eight, I am Chris Slater and I'm here with George Debracus. Hello, George, and welcome to the show. G'day, mate. How are you going? Well, going much better now that I've levelled it all up in the great rankings debate, George. 11 all for the first time I've been able to, to piggyback after you got to a 3-0 lead to start the season. Um, it's And we had a, some pretty close games. There were three on the weekend that were single-digit margins that uh, you got one, I got two. So we're, we're picking some players that are going pretty close. I mean, Gorn and, and Grundy, we both were spot on the money with great captain choices there. But... Um, I think uh, it's uh, it's getting interesting now in the great rankings debate. That's it, mate. We we did it for the listeners. Let's just say that we got it close, just to keep it uh, nice and tight. But no more mercy from here, Chris. Now it's on. Now we're going for glory. Uh-huh. We shall see. We shall see. Now let's go to your top non-fantasy story of the week, George. Mate, so there's going to be a lot of footy on. Um, fixtures for rounds nine to twelve have been confirmed, and we'll see footy played on every night of the week for about twenty days. I think it is, which as a Victorian in lockdown, is very welcome. Um, but, mate, I'm keen to hear your thoughts because there's two issues we're going to face, right? One is the known issue of buys. So they're already published and you can kind of figure out which teams may have to have a buy later given who's not getting a buy now. So that can kind of be planned around and planned for. The other one is um, list, or, list, list management, basically, is what I'm looking for. How coaches are going to rest some of their players and manage their lists when some teams have, I think it's four games in 14 days with travel. So keen to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it is going to be a very difficult time for fantasy managers, George, and every format's going to handle it maybe a little bit differently. We know for sure Supercoach is going to do the best 18 players during the bye weeks, um, while other formats could either go um, with the best 18 or they could go with the player averages for those on the bye or player projections. Um, provided that that player played in the team the week before. Probably three main things to keep in mind, I think, for team management. Um, two that are the same across both platforms. But I think, one, it's going to be much harder to hold on to injured players um, that are injured for long term. Maybe if they're back in a week or two, you can justify it. But for those that are four, five, six, seven weeks, it, it is very hard, particularly the condensed fixture makes it more games. Plus, you've got so many players coming in and out of the team with buys. Um, and the list management. Um, I think secondly also, we're not going to know teams potentially at the start of the round. So it's going to be hard to know who players are going to, which players are going to get rested, etc. So if you've got a player on your bench that you're 50-50 on or someone that you might be picking up on waivers and they're playing in one of the first games of the round, maybe it is better to just lock in that score rather than take the risk and then you know that other player that you were banking on is, is out in, in the last game and then you're starting someone that is maybe number 90 or 100 on the rankings instead of picking up someone that was 50 or 60. Um, and then the third one, which is probably a bit different for either one, depending on how it's handled, but for the leagues that are doing best 18 players, I think that means that you are going to go all out on the midfielders. They score a lot more points and make sure that you've got as many of those starting as possible. Um, so midfielder value potentially goes up a little bit for the, some of those fringe players like your your Dersmers, your Jed Andersons, etc. That might be just on the on the cusp of waiver wires. I would definitely get them in if you're going into best 18 because they're going to do a lot better than some of those forwards that are probably um, on a lot of starting teams at the moment. Um, and then the second one also, if you've already had a player that's had a buy or on a team like Melbourne or Essendon, those players gain value in the best 18 because they're always going to be available um, week in, week out. On the other side, for if their leagues are going for the averages, then definitely those players that have performed well in 2020 are in demand over those that are maybe a little bit down this year but have been better in the past. So, for instance, Jordan Ridley might become more valuable than Shannon Hearn coming up just because of that. So that's something also to, to keep in mind. But uh, there, there are a few of my takeaways. George, what do you reckon? Any, anything else that you can think of top of mind or any of those that I mentioned that you think is um, a key one? I think the most prudent thing here is if your team has a lot of players from um, you know, the same football club and a lot of them are fringe, so you know, you've got a couple of stars, obviously, but you might have a couple of forwards, centres, whatever, that um, you know, are, on the outs- on the, are on the outer, it may be time to see if you can diversify your list a little bit better. 
Because I think, and this was, I was definitely in this camp, um, after we returned from the break, I didn't think that there would be any buyers this year. Because there, there obviously were meant to be buyers in the longer season, but with condensed quarters and you know, basically fully trying to get done by the end of you know, October, I just didn't think there would be any buyers. In which case, if you wanted to stack up on a certain team because for whatever reason, there were X number of players available, that used to be pretty good advice. But now, obviously, um, to the extent that you can, I think do it now. Because if you do it the week before a game, chances are there's going to be less availability, right? So that would probably be my big takeaway. Yeah, good advice, George. Particularly if you're in that best 18 kind of model like Supercoach, you just have to do that. Um, let's now jump to the studs and the duds. So these are reviewing round seven and seeing how players performed relative to expectation and our projected rankings on aflfantasyexpert.com.au. So the studs were the top performers in round seven. And the first stud is Tom Duday, who has been in pretty good form recently. He was projected to be the number 40 defender last week. He was actually a top five defender. And he's been in a great run of form. In the last five games, he's actually had at least 108 adjusted fantasy points three times, which for a defender, they're huge numbers. But he does have that inconsistency, which you've got to worry about. But he's been getting those elite scores more often than not. So he probably becomes a much a must-start player across almost all draft league sizes at the moment. George, do you think Duday is your top free agent acquisition amongst defenders this week over some of the other defenders that are widely available in a lot of draft leagues, like your Sucklings, Maine, and McKenna? Yeah, I think if you can get uh, Duday, he's definitely worth, uh, worth picking up. I should mention, though, in some leagues, um, like Ultimate Footy, for instance, Zaharakis is actually a defender. So probably doesn't apply to the vast majority of listeners. But yes, if Duday is available, take him. Because Suckling, for instance, had one good game. And I think he kicked a couple of goals, at least one goal uh, on the weekend. And so even that score is a little bit questionable because you can't, probably can't expect that return from him every, every week. Main, no. Because sometimes he has halves where he doesn't touch the ball. Uh, I think McKenna, again, is, is a very good option. But I suspect most teams or most leagues would, would not have him on the waiver. Um, Zaharakis, though, as I mentioned, again, probably only applies to a very small percentage of our listeners, but um, he's a good pickup because he started the year off really poorly. We'll talk a lot more about him later as a forward, um, but just thought I'd throw that one out there. Yeah, definitely. Well, as a forward, he's still a lot of value. He was originally a midfielder at the start of the year and then had those terrible games, and, and now he's a forward in in, in a, lot of the le- a lot of the different league types. So he is one that is in hot form and might be worth a look. Um, the second stud, Sean Higgins. So what a game. He was projected to be the number 44 midfielder. And last week, he was the number one midfielder in fantasy with a season high 151 adjusted fantasy points last round. You, you predicted that one, didn't you, George? Um, oh, but uh, he has been... Very inconsistent at times, but he does have that huge upside when he plays well. He's topped 113 adjusted fantasy points three times already this year. So if you want a bit of a boom-bust player that can maybe give you some upside to your team, Higgins might be the guy. Um, and then the third stud of the week is Jordan Dugowie, projected to be the number 28 forward. He was actually the number three forward. He had a season high, 120 adjusted fantasy points. And when his owners were thinking, wow, this is, we finally have a great degree performance, been great holding on to him for this, because he had only averaged 72 adjusted fantasy points per game in 2020 before last week. All of his owners got up and excited. And then the bad news the day after was that finger injury, which will keep him out. Originally, they said six to eight weeks. And now I've started to hear eight to 10 weeks, um, yeah. which does mean, George. It's going to be hard, do you think, to hold Dugowie onto Dugowie, given probably best case scenario, he's back for only the last game or two um, to help you probably in the finals. Yeah, he's got to go. So I heard Eddie say it was six to ten, and then Jeff Walsh today of the Collingwood Football Club said he could easily miss ten weeks, uh, at least two months. So he's he's in a race. I think he'll get back for the AFL final series, but given that AFL fantasy finals obviously happen during our regular season. Um, He's quite unlikely to come back in my view. So I actually had to go, had held him throughout and 
prior to his surgery when it was still possible that he could be back in six weeks. I traded him out, um, very thankfully. Um, and if anyone else can do that at this point, good luck to you. But um, otherwise, you know, I was very, very ready. And I think most people need to bite the bullet despite holding to, to let the goey go. Because, you know, to your point, mate, he's played one great game this year. Otherwise, a 72 averaging forward isn't incredible. And so do you really want to be holding on to him when he might not even come back? I just don't think the risk reward's there. If this was um, even Petrarca, right, the number one forward so far, or Hugh Greenwood, who's been killing it recently, sure, hold on to him, but not for the goey. Yeah, completely agree. If it was maybe three or four weeks, you'd think about it long and hard. But yeah, six, eight, ten weeks does not sound good at all. And then the fourth and final start, again, third time this year. It's just unbelievable. Tim English, he was projected to be the number seven Ruckman, actually was the number three Ruckman. And he's the most informed fantasy Ruckman at the moment outside of Gorn and Grundy. He's averaged 124 adjusted fantasy points per game over the past four matches. But he's done it again, another season high, 143 adjusted fantasy points last week. George, is English now your number three Ruckman? Are you putting him there behind Grundy and Gorn? Or are you going to go with Goldstein, O'Brien, Marshall, Witts, one of, the, one of those other ones above English? I'd say on form is number three, but I wouldn't, attra- I wouldn't accept a trade for him if I was giving up one of Goldstein, O'Brien or Witts just yet. Um, yeah, I, I just think he's had a great run, but I'm not even sure if opposition... I mean, he's causing a lot of headaches, but on the weekend, he, only, he had less than 20 hitouts. It was his form around the ground that, and some of his marking ability that got him a lot of fantasy points. That can actually be stopped. You can tag someone around the ground. If he's getting 50 hitouts a game against your Ruckman, there's not much you can do. But you can tag Tim English if he's becoming such a problem. And I think now that he's causing so much havoc, really, for oppositions, um, you know, they'll have to continue to think of ways to mitigate his influence. So maybe I'll be too slow and too late for the party, but I'm not quite on him at number three. I think he's definitely in the conversation for the top five or so. That being said, I think Marshall, um, I'm a bit worried about his scoring potential for the rest of the year because it actually surprised me that Ryder was brought in on the weekend and he attended something like, we'll talk about it later, but I think it's like 70% or so of centre bounces um, compared to Marshall. Marshall played as a deep forward. So if that happens, Rowan Marshall scores will get absolutely spanked. Um, and the other bloke that it impacts actually is, is Battle, who I was singing his praises last week. I got concussed on the weekend, so ignore that score. But that being said, if he's not pinch hitting in the ruck, do not expect him to be, you know, you know, giving you 80 adjusted scores, 80 adjusted points per week. It's just going to be too difficult. So on format, number three, probably not yet over the other three boys, Goldstein, O'Brien and Wits, but big question marks on Marshall. Yeah, I agree with you definitely, George. I'd, I'd definitely put English above Marshall and I'd yeah, agree definitely behind Goldstein, O'Brien. English, Wits is getting interesting. They're getting pretty close. We'll see uh, what happens this week. Um, now let's... Jump to the duds. So these are the players that underperformed expectation in round seven. And the top dud is Brody Smith. He's been a bit of a yo-yo this year. He was projected to be the number six defender last week. And he was actually the number 99 defender. But um, he had put together a good run of form before last week, but he had his last, his worst match in about a month. Um, he only had 55 adjusted fantasy points against the Saints. So that was coming off... 103 points per game adjusted in the previous four games. So um, it was probably just one bad match for now. You would have to think he was the focus of a very close tag by Jaron Geary, who's done that um, a few times effectively against elite defenders this year. For instance, he did it to Doherty a few weeks ago. George, you've been on and off the Smith bandwagon a couple of times this year. What do you think? Was it just a tough matchup with some extra attention? Um, and so he's still a top 10 defender or are you starting to get off that bandwagon again? Look, Smith can be a little hot and cold. And after the first two rounds where he only scored 50 adjusted points um, or only averaged 50 adjusted points, you know, I, was, I had a few question marks. I wasn't too sure what was going to happen. But I quickly backed him back in when he started scoring well. And honestly, the last month, he's averaged 103 adjusted points. So as you had, I think as you mentioned, mate, or as we discussed previously, Geary for, for the Saints has been very effective in shutting down defenders this year. 
Um, so I think we just put this down to, a, to an off performance. But as an owner, if you own Smith, you just have to accept that he will give you a few poor performances. Now, I think that he'll be averaging for the rest of the year, if we look at it as a whole, probably around 90 adjusted points. But that being said, you might have, as, we, as, we, as we've seen, a month of 100 plus and then a stinker. Um, I think he's still a top 10 defender for fantasy purposes. Um, but yeah, it's not unusual to see him put in an effort like that. And I actually think this week, we can almost give him a little bit of an excuse because Geary is just so good. Yeah, agree, George. The second dud of the week is another Adelaide Crow, Brad Crouch. He was projected to be the number eight midfielder and he was actually the number 42 midfielder last week. And he had his lowest score since the season resumed last round with 84 adjusted fantasy points. And probably more concerning than that um, for Brad Crouch owners was that he appeared in less centre bounce attendances last week than younger players like Ben Keyes and Chase Jones. So it's probably a sign that the Crows are going to give their midfield minutes to a few more younger players um, for the rest of the season, which will probably hurt Brad Crouch's fantasy output. George, are you thinking that this is a good time to potentially sell high on Brad Crouch before he loses some value as his midfield minutes continue to reduce and the Crows go with a youth strategy? I think so. I mean, Adelaide, Adelaide have given up, haven't they? I mean, they're 100% in rebuild mode. And if they're not, they really should be. So... I think that for the rest of the year, we'll see players get thrown around a lot. Um, you know, the coaching staff will try a whole bunch of different things because I think if, if they finish last for, you know, for argument's sake, they're actually going to have a pretty strong draft hand, um, not only because of their position on the ladder, but also due to previous trades. So they could easily get, you know, I think it's like four or so um, top 20, top 30 picks, um, which would be, and obviously a few in the top, in, in the top 10. So if that happens, it won't take very long for the Crows, if they get that right, to come back up the ladder, and uh, maybe only a couple of years. But that being said, they've really got to nail the, the development of their young players now. Um, which, you know, I'm not saying anything revolutionary there, but what it does mean is Brad Crouch might find himself on a wing, you know, in the back line, or who knows? Just something different to give everyone else a bit of a look and see if there is something among the current list that, that, that clicks. So, yeah, mate, I, I would not... I would honestly put Adelaide in the same camp as the Western Bulldogs with respect to in what position a player might start that week. Because Bebo, as we know, loves to throw the magnets around. And I think now with, with Adelaide entering a rebuild phase, he, he could end up at full forward. I don't know. So, yeah. I, yeah I'd be another, one, another one that does that occasionally yeah. for the Hawks. Um, yeah, it is. Um, they, they should have a bit of a draft bounty this year, you'd think, the Crows. Like, they've got their first round pick, which will be number one. Brad Crouch might actually leave the Crows and there's been some talk that uh, as a restricted free agent, they would then get number two draft pick as a compensation pick. So it'd be crazy to have the top two picks. Plus they have GWS's first round pick this year. So given the Giants are doing a little bit worse than we expected, that is a, a good draft haul plus their own second round pick. And I think the Bulldogs second round pick also. So they're five picks potentially in the top 25 or 30. It could be uh, including maybe three in the top 10 could be a big year for the Crows to rebuild. Um, and then the third dud is Gary Ablett. He was projected to be the number eight forward and he was actually the 95 forward with only 56 adjusted fantasy points last week. And he has definitely cooled down after the first couple of matches. He averaged 106 adjusted fantasy points in the first two games of the season. But Gaza has only averaged 64 adjusted fantasy points per game over the last five games. And um, in bad news, he has returned back to Melbourne for some family, personal reasons. So given that there's going to be two weeks of quarantine when he returns and the condensed fixture, um, he's probably going to miss at least the next five matches, if not more. George, it's a pretty similar scenario to how we discussed a couple of weeks ago with Basha Hooli. I mean, do you take the chance and hold on to Ablett in case he comes back in hopefully a month or so as a best case scenario? Or do you just bite the bullet and say, look, Gaz has been a bit out of form and he's actually probably putting up worse numbers than Hooli. Maybe now's the time to get rid of him. I wouldn't hold him. I mean, I don't think anyone begrudges Gary Ablett for the decisions he's made. And I think everybody, not that he needs our endorsement or support, but would say, you know, it makes sense, right move. That being said, given the uncertainty about when he could return and the fact that he's a bit like the goalie, he has not actually scored all that well over the course of the year. There might be the odd game where he does well, but quite frankly, he hasn't really been scoring all that well. So, 
I don't see what the reward is for holding a player that might, again, return to be you know, a, a 70 adjusted average scorer. It's just not worth it. So for me, I think you've got to get rid of him. Yeah, I think that's right, George. And uh, just breaking news here, just coming through, we've got um, how the fantasy, um, AFL fantasy will handle this period with the buys has just been announced. So if you do have a fantasy draft team, if a player's on buy, you will get um, an average score from them from so far in 2020 to anyone in their team's best 22 the previous round. So that... Um, will happen. Um, so that's the the main takeaway for fantasy draft um, in AFL um, fantasy. So going into the last dud of the week, Rowan Marshall, um, we mentioned most of this before, George, but he was projected to be the number six Ruckman and actually the number 16 Ruckman. And he had a season low, 66 adjusted fantasy points last week. And that coincided with Paddy Ryder coming back into the team. And there's been a huge difference between Marshall's productivity with and without Ryder in the team. He averaged 100 adjusted fantasy points per game in 2020 without Ryder in the team compared to 82 adjusted fantasy points per game when Ryder plays. Um, and it seems like when both Ryder and Marshall are playing, the Saints have a strong preference to give Ryder the centre bounce hit out time and Marshall's more the around the ground option. So as you mentioned um, last week, it was 27% of the state centre bounces for Marshall compared to 73 for Ryder. So that's a huge difference, 73% to 27%. So if Ryder's in the team, Marshall probably just becomes a borderline starting Ruckman in single Ruck leagues versus a top five, top six Ruckman um, when he is going solo. But that is it for the studs and the duds this week. Let's now jump over to the injuries. Um, in terms of the defenders, yep, George? I was going to say, this has also just come in. Um, Josh Battle, that I mentioned before, and this goes into the, into the injuries as well, has actually sustained a small fracture in his face from the collision with Paddy Ryder. Um, that might have allowed him to play, but given, you know, despite the small fracture, but given the, the, the quick turnaround, five-day break, and the fact that he actually did suffer a concussion, it's now very unlikely that he will play this week. Um, and he may return in round nine or even potentially uh, in, round, in round 10. So just some new news for, for holders of battle. Not very unlikely. I'll just say it, he's not going to play this week. Breaking news there from George. You've, you've heard it here first. Battle out this week. Um, other defender news, we've got... Kale Hooker and Ryan Burton will both be set to miss a couple of weeks. Um, but there weren't, weren't too many injuries on the defender front. We've got a few guys that are coming back this week. You would think Tom Stewart, Reese Conker and Jarman Impey are all looking more likely than not to return from injuries. On the midfielder front, the main two were Joel Solwood. He'll be out uh, for two to three weeks with that hamstring injury, which could be three or four matches. Um, and Lockie Hunter is out for personal reasons. We don't know how long that will last for, but he will definitely miss the game against the Gold Coast. And then a few players that could return this week, Luke Shuey, Mitch Duncan, Jed Anderson and Cam Ellis-Yolman all, all look um, likely to return this week or at least 50-50 chances, while Ben Cunnington and Dan Hennebury could return this week, but they look like long shots. The main outs, though, were at, in the forward line this week. Um, we had Dugowie, we mentioned earlier. Gary Ablett, we mentioned earlier. The other ones, Jack Siebel will miss four weeks. Um, and Josh Caddy will miss four to six weeks. While Stephen Motlop will miss a couple of weeks. While Jai Simkin, who's been really one of the revelations this year, is unlikely to play this week with injury. On the return front, we've got Brad Ebert returning from suspension. And Toby Green looks likely to return also. George, we mentioned earlier with some of the other guys like to go in Ablett, but given the condensed nature of the fixture coming up, do you strongly consider getting rid of Zebel and Caddy given Zebel's out for four, Caddy's out for four to six? I think so, man. I mean, it's not four to six weeks anymore, right? That, that could be six to eight games. Who knows? Um, in fact, it's going to be at least, at least six games of football. So you just can't do it. We, you know, we, I think I think the big trap for a lot of a lot of people, including myself initially, was when we think or we hear the injury list and we say, "Oh, he's only out for three weeks." That, that's five games. So it's 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 a different way of thinking in the in the next few weeks that we have to kind of adopt. And 
again, for someone like Zebel in particular, who's been so injury prone this year, I mean, with what confidence can you hold him? Um, Caddy actually was having an all right run, but again, given he's out for, I think, uh, up to six weeks, which is, as I mentioned, it could easily be eight games or football. Um, it's really hard because you know their quality and you'll look like a bit of a goose if they come back early and someone else picks them up off the waivers. But I think you've got to play the percentages. If, you know, unless you have such an amazingly deep list that this is your only injury, which I'd be amazed if you were in that position, um, you just got to let them go. Yeah, it is. And it's particularly with the condensed nature of the fixture, you really worry about someone like Zebul or Cunnington's the other one that they've been injured so many times this year. You don't see them playing all of these games um, when they do return. For instance, you know, Zebul returns in four games or five games time. He's probably not going to get a run of those four games in 15 days um, when there is that second lot of condensed fixtures, which is possible. He might only play two of those games. So you are going to be missing a lot of football um, in the back part of the year, even if they do return on schedule. Um, and then the Rucks is the last one. No new injuries this week. Jonathan Segler is the main one looking likely to return this week. Um, from his toe injury, while Scott Lysette of Port has definitely been ruled out this week. Um, so we'll get Laddams back into the team um, for a second week in a row after it was great last week. But George, let's now jump over to your segment, the player snakes and ladders. So these are the players that you are either out with, you're done with them based on their recent performances, or the players that you think are worthwhile bringing in to consider either via trade or free agency. Yeah. So I think... The first one, and I think we look like a bit of, you know, a bit silly on this because we can't, we sang his praises early on in the season, didn't we? But Hunter Clark, his last five game average has only been 68 adjusted points. Uh, and he's coming off a three week high of 75. So don't get me wrong, the last week's performance was better than what he's been putting up in, in the weeks beforehand. But I honestly think even at 75, you know, he's not, he's not killing it, so to speak. It's, it's a very serviceable score for a backman on an adjusted basis, but it's not um, by any means breathtaking. And I think there might be an argument or, or something to be done to, to trade out Hunter Clark at the moment. Um, the, the one to bring in for me, and this is again quite speculative on the other side of the coin, and I wouldn't be trading Hunter Clark for this player, but off the waivers, I would be looking to bring in someone like Jackson Nelson. So since he came into the side, Nelson scored, has scored pretty well, averaging 90 adjusted points across uh, his last three games. Obviously, he didn't start the season particularly well, and that's why he, he subsequently missed. But he also scored 114 adjusted points on the weekend. And if you look at how he's scoring, and I know this can be a little bit worrying because this part of the game can, can change depending on how it's played, but it's actually his marks that are helping him score some very high numbers. So I think what's happening is the way West Coast have been playing, it's been a lot of control on the ball, a lot of switching the play along uh, in, in the back line. Uh, and I just think if that's the style that they're going to adopt and try to play and are probably more likely to be able to play in better conditions, which um, you know, are seen more often in, in WA, I think he's one that could actually provide some, some value for, for those willing to take the risk on him now. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it, George? There are so many fantasy-relevant Eagle defenders because of that strategy. You've got Shepard, who's obviously been elite over the last few weeks. Hearn looks like he might be picking things up. McGovern is in good form recently. Throw in Nelson now into the mix and Duggan. I mean, they all, with that chipping around marking strategy, does help them all. Um, and I agree, Clark is definitely on the outer, only averaging 60 adjusted fantasy points per game over the last three weeks. That's not good enough. Um, I think Hunter Clark should be getting the chop in most draft leagues. Um, George, onto the midfielders. So, Seb Ross, what's going on with that bloke? Uh, he's coming off four years of reliable 100-point scores, and his last five-game average is only 60 adjusted points. And his last two weeks, he's only managed to average 40. So, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm telling holders to move him on, but for what? I mean, you'll be, you'll be pulling out your hair if he comes back to posting 100, 100 points in the next few weeks. And I don't know what value you can get for him. Um, I don't know if you've got the courage to drop him, especially given other injuries to, to the waivers. Um, that's probably not something I would, I would advise. But if you can get some value in a trade or, or even just bring in some other people to have him on your bench for a while to see if he does recover, that's probably the way to go because he's completely out of form. Um, going the other way, I quite like Ricky Henderson. So. He hit top gear last season, as we know, when he turned 30 and the, the white whiskers started coming out and he actually started playing some of his best footy. 
um, averaging 97 points the year. And this year we thought, oh, maybe he's back to his old ways. He had a pretty slow start to 2020. But in the last fortnight, I'm not sure what's happened uh, with respect to obviously Holton's form hasn't been great, but he is lifted. So he's averaged 106 points um, over, over the last couple of weeks. And I think in most teams to be worth a run, especially given all the injury concerns among some of the top tier stars. If you can pick up someone that can give you close to 100 average, 100 adjusted points rather, um, I think that would be a pretty good pickup. So he's probably the one to keep an eye on in the mids. Um, and moving on to the forwards quickly. So Zebel, I don't even need to talk about him as we discussed already. He's out for a while. He's so injury prone. I just wouldn't have the courage to hold him. And he's one I actually would drop and have the courage to completely get rid of if I needed to. Um, and the one to pick up. So, Zaka, Zaharakis, absolute stinker of a start to the year. And actually, it was because he was playing as a defender. He wasn't playing as a forward. He was playing heaps uh, in the back line, um, I think. And for whatever reason, he's been swung forward. He's been applying a lot of pressure, laying a lot of tackles, kicking the odd goal. And he looks fantastic. So, he averaged 80 points uh, last year. And previously, he's been a mid-90 averaging fantasy player, obviously getting a lot, a lot of midfield minutes. Um, and the last fortnight, he scored, I think it's about 100 adjusted points on, on average. So I think if you, you can have the courage again, because a lot of these calls now, are, you know, if you get them wrong at this end of the season with so much going on in so many games, can be very costly. But if you've got an inclination to pick him up and start him now that he's moved forward, if he, if he keeps his form up, he's going to be one of the top forwards in the league. So I think it's a bit early, but I'd probably be picking him up. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Zaka too, George. And uh, as, as a Zebel owner, I am very strongly considering dropping him for Zaharakis, even if Zaka just stays on the bench for another week or two, um, just to make sure that this form continues. But uh, I think, um, yeah, he was early in this year, like you mentioned, he, even when he was playing forward, he was in a defensive shutdown, lockdown role like Geary's been playing for the Saints. Well, the last two weeks, it's just been completely different. Um, and he's been a very attacking forward role. So um, I'll be discussing him in a bit more detail later in the show, but I'm a big fan of Zaka. So over to the rucks now, George. So in the rucks, out McAvoy. So he had a strong couple of games in, in rounds five and six. One round, though, even though he had 80% game on time, he scored like 10 points because um, he was playing as a defender. And I thought with Segler out, okay, he's coming up against Gorney who we all know is the number one ruckman right now from a fantasy perspective and probably even just in normal football right now is probably you know, the number one ruckman in the league. Um, but still, come on. He scored such a horrible score on the weekend. He couldn't get his hand anywhere near the ball, couldn't get around the ground. Just was, you know, looked like an old man. So I think McAvoy's got to go. Um, the one to bring in, and we talked about a lot of the Sydney uh, ruckman earlier in the season and people have just seemingly forgotten them or potentially even delisted them for... Um, you know, a bit of short-sightedness perhaps. But Calum Sinclair's back. He's back from injury. He's playing pretty much at the sole ruck. There's no Naismith to challenge him. He posted 81 adjusted points on the weekend. Um, so at least as a, as a backup or even as a number two ruckman in, in leagues that have two rucks, I think Sinclair, again, we've talked about it before, but it's a no-brainer. You should pick him up. Yeah, definitely agree with that, George. And that is it for Player Snakes and Ladders. Let's now jump over to the next segment, Start or Sit, where we go through, based on round eight's matchups, who you should be starting or picking up and who you should be sitting. Um, the Essendon forwards um, this week, great matchup for Zaharakis. We've mentioned him a couple of times on the show, and Darcy Parrish. Both those guys have been really improved over the last fortnight. They've averaged 99 and 86 adjusted fantasy points per game over the last two weeks um, compared to 50 and 56 adjusted, adjusted fantasy points per game in the first four matches. And it's really been, um, Parrish in particular has had a lot of midfield minutes due to the absences of Stringer and Chill. Um, and he took part in 52% of the Bombers' centre bounce attempts last week. So compared to early in the season, where he was playing a lot more forward. And Zaharak, as we mentioned, that different role in the forward line recently. And this week, they get another a big um, beneficiaries this week of playing the Crows. We mentioned them before on this segment. They've given up the most fantasy points per game to forwards and to midfielders this year. So regardless of whether these guys play forward or midfield, expect them to cash in. George, are you going to take Zaharakis and Parrish this week, given the good matchup, over maybe some other players that have been a bit more consistent over the year, um, rather than just only the last couple of weeks, guys like Gibbons or, or 
for instance, is, is one that comes to mind. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we've already spoken about Zaka a fair bit. And Parrish, you know, he frustrated a lot of owners um, because he just wasn't getting any midfield minutes. And I hope that they persist with him in the, in the centre uh, moving forwards. It's a little bit like when Dunkley is just played as a forward. He just doesn't play this. He's not, he's not a forward. Like, he can go there and rest and kick a goal, but he's a, he's a midfielder. And that's, I think, what Parrish is as well. Um, you know, there's no shield for another week, and obviously Stringer won't be back for, for the foreseeable future. So, and even Heppel won't be back for, for quite a long time. So, I don't really understand why Parrish can't be getting more midfield minutes. Um, and so, yeah, I would definitely be starting those two. And to your point, um, if I could if I could bring them in uh, longer term, I don't think that's a bad idea. Yep, agree, George. And then on the players not to start, Steph Martin. He has um, continually lost significant ruck time to McInerney. He was only in about 60% of the centre-bounce attempts um, since his return from injury. And he's averaged only 53 adjusted fantasy points per game in his three matches back, which is well below the 85 points per game he got last year. To add to all of that, this week he gets Max Gorn and the Demons. Terrible matchup. They've given up the least fantasy points per game to Ruckman in 2020. So definitely sit Martin on your bench this week. And you mentioned Sinclair earlier. That's definitely one person you would start over Martin for sure this week. So, George, we thought it'd be interesting now to just just for this week to have a look at how we've gone with some of those long-term calls in 2020. So I thought we would do our three best calls and our three worst calls of the year. George, let me know when you agree or disagree with anything or which one hurt the most as we go through it. But let's start with the positive, the three best calls of the year. Number three, back in after round two, we went early. Mitch Wallace, we said to get rid of him. And in the five games since, he's only averaged 61 adjusted fantasy points per game, well below his 79 points per game average in 2019. So it was a, a pretty good call. Number two, after round three, we were big on Trent Cotchen and he has averaged 93 adjusted fantasy points per game in the two matches back um, before he got injured, which was well above his 71 average in 2019. And then finally, the best call I think this year was round four. We were just on fire. Lots of players that were starting to pick up some form and we said, definitely pick them up. Must starts going forward. Barry, Ridley and Guthrie and they've all kept it up. Berry's averaged 95 adjusted points per game since we said that. Ridley, 90, which for a defender is just crazy. And Guthrie, are you sitting down, George? 106 since then he has averaged adjusted fantasy points. George, yeah. which one of those um, calls are you most happy with? I actually think for the course of the year, because a lot of people wouldn't have even picked this player up, if Cochin comes back and he's fit, uh, which hopefully he will be because they've been taking care of the old boy um, you know, in, in his little hamstring nick. So it's a big call because obviously he had a lot of hamstring issues last year. But he could be one of those midfielders that comes back in, um, given all the other outs that are happening, and just continues to deliver. So, look, it's, not, it's probably not the, the biggest call in that, yeah, to your point, if you can get Guthrie or, or Ridley into your team, you'd be very, very happy. But, you know, if, if you've just been sitting around and, and even clutching at the moment, it might be one that can still apply. I think that's, that's probably the one that I'm, I'm most happy with, backing in the old boy. But, mate, look... I'll let you talk through the, the top calls uh, and some of these next ones were mine. So why don't I go through some of our worst calls so far uh, and you let me know if we're being too harsh on ourselves. <laughs> so probably the, I actually think this might be one of the worst ones, but anyway, um, after round two, we were saying it might be time to bring in Stephen Motlop. He averaged 98 adjusted fantasy points per game. He looked on fire actually. Um, but since then, he's only averaged 46, and now he's injured. So that wasn't great. Um, the next one, round, after round three, we said time to cut Kane Lambert. He was averaging 65 adjusted fantasy points per game, which was you know, well below his mid-80s his mid of, uh, of previous years. And somehow, this bloke, who wasn't playing any footy, you know, seemingly, um, in his last three games, has scored over 114 adjusted points. So... Look, I think Stephen Motlop, we can say the jury is not out. Um, bad call. I still think Kane Lambert will revert to you know a much lower score moving forwards. But you know, was it the right time to cut him after round three? Probably not. Um, and then this one as well. So I think I put this bloke in the same bucket as Kane Lambert, which was Tim English, who's been an absolute superstar, averaging 119 adjusted points uh, per game in his last five games after getting absolutely mauled by. 
Roddy Grundy in round one, he's come back with a vengeance. Look, as I said, because his tap work isn't actually that good, he's not actually a particularly good ruckman, but he's a very, very good around-the-body competitive ruckman in, in, in a sense. So he'll have many contests. He'll win some, he'd have to advantage, but then he'll just burn everyone around the ground, uh, or most people. So I'm, I'm, I'm still on the camp of, yes, he's much better than previous years and bad call to get rid of him. But I will be interested to see if he gets tagged or if something happens to, to, to the way teams approach him just because he's been so dominant. And so, again, it might be one of them went a bit too early, but, um, yeah, comes back by the end of the year. Um, and the final one, mate, which is probably one that is still one to look at. So Steph Martin, after getting injured and coming back, has, to your point, played a much reduced amount of time um, in, in, in the ruck contest. Oscar McInerney has been taking a lot more of that time in the, in the ruck. And so his scores have been pretty poor. He's only averaging, I think, 53 adjusted points in his three games back from injury, which is way down on last year's 85. But even before that, he was close to you know, 90 plus as a ruckman. So let's see if he comes back and, and a bit of mean reversion occurs. But what do you think, mate? Have, are any of those overly harsh or not harsh enough or any other ones that you think we've missed? Yeah, I think uh, I think yeah, Steph Martin definitely agree with you there. It is too soon to tell. I think he's he's basically that sixty percent when he's not in the ruck. He's basically on the bench, so that could increase if it gets up to eighty, for instance. He'll be close to getting those you know seventies, eighties again. Um, Motlop, look, that was a hard one, George. We didn't know the Crows were that bad at the time, and he really cashed in on the Crows, and they've chosen you know they've been um, basically. Um, a training drill um, since then for forwards. So we did overreact, but we didn't know how bad the Crows were there. Lambert, I do agree with you. I think um, he benefited from all of those injuries, all of those outs in the midfield, and maybe he can keep that up for the next couple of weeks. But as more of those players come back, his role, I think, will reduce and he'll start reverting back to that. Maybe not as bad as he was at the start, but close to it. The one I'm going to disagree with you is, is Tim English. I'm, I'm all in now. I think he's, um, he's unstoppable. I think he's a top kind of five or so Rackman from here. But uh, maybe that's just the Bulldogs fan in me. But um, I just can't think of too many Rackman that have been tagged over the years. It's a hard thing to do. You know, you've got the Geary's that can tag the forwards. But to be able to tag this giant all around the ground. Um, and a lot of those Rackman, they like, you know, getting the ball themselves rather than always following and, um, but but who knows? Maybe you can get rid of some of the you know more defensive marks that he takes. For instance, if you've got a forward responsible for him when he's there. But um, I think um, it's just the beginning of the Tim English era of being a top five ruckman for the next decade for fantasy. Wowie! All right, mate. Well, well since we're on a on a roll on, on some of this stuff, why don't we get straight into our our well now our collective favourite segment? Given you've come back, the the great rankings debate. So, I'm going early. I'm not taking Grundy this week. He's coming up against Nick Knapp. And, look, sometimes we go, you know, 1v2. It's all a bit too polite. I'm going Hugh Greenwood. So wow. Greenwood has averaged 100. Are you sitting for this? 134 adjusted points in the last three weeks. And, you know, the Gold Coast are playing the doggies this week that, as we mentioned, have no hunter and won't have a Dunkley. He's going to go berserk. So I don't know what we're doing with Grundy this week. Nick Nat's going to challenge him and wait for Mr. Hugh Greenwood to go absolutely huge this week. This is a huge call, George. Probably your biggest of the year, at least since Tom Rockliffe in round two, who's subsequently been dropped. But he did very well for you in round two. Um, I do like Greenwood. He's been in red-hot form. He's gotten a ton of midfield minutes since Rao got injured. And he's kept rising up my, my forward rankings. He's now at number four. So that's how highly I rate him. But we're talking about Brody Grundy. He's in a different league. He's topped 124 adjusted fantasy points in five of his seven games this year. And he's also been pretty good against the Eagles in the past. He scored over 120 adjusted fantasy points against them both times last year. One, one of those was against Signat. George, lock this one in for me. And I will continue my streak of captain wins in the great ranking debate. It's going to be... The four peak, four in a row after Grundy gets another, I don't know, 130, 140, 150 adjusted points this week. I cannot wait for this one. I'll play this back to you next week. Anyway, let's go to the backs. So, mate, this year, Johnny Noble, he's been in and out of the side a little bit. Um, and, look, he's a very respectable defender. But with Isaac Quaynor in the team, he doesn't actually get a lot of that running off of halfback, um, you know, a lot of those possessions that, that 
you know, he's basically in the team four. So it's a bit of a head scratcher, but I'm going to go a little bit early and he's going to be playing, or rather the Pies are going to be playing uh, West Coast this week. And I think that Nelson and his West Coast mates and they're all there marking in the centre half back on half, you know, full back you know, in that area of the ground will actually continue. Um, and that's because the Pies, right, they are the number one defensive team. But as a function of being such a good defensive team, it means that the opposition has to do a lot of defending themselves because there's a lot of counter-attacking and whatnot. And I think there'll be a lot of zoning and the Pies will, will be hemming them in in their, in their um, effectively, in the Pies 450, meaning Nelson and co will just keep chipping it around and trying to get out. So it's very early because we don't have enough data to, to know if this guy's a bona fide, but I'm taking him who's in spot 80 over the Pies Noble this week in uh, spot 74. Yeah, George, this one's a tough one. Look, as you can tell from the rankings that you just mentioned on aflfantasyexpert.com.au for the defenders, I don't have these guys very high in the 70s and 80s. So I don't think either of them is a great option this week. But if you're forced to between the two, I mean, look, I know you're the resident um, Collingwood expert and I agree with you. I'm not hugely comfortable on Noble. But let's not get carried away on Nelson here, George. He had one great game last week, scored 114 adjusted fantasy points. Um that was against the Dockers, who were pretty easy to score against um, for fantasy defenders. And before that, he was only averaging 65 adjusted fantasy points per game in 2020, which was actually an improvement over the 40s he averaged in the last couple of years. So um, Noble, look, he's normally been kind of a mid to high 60s average both this year and when he played limited in 2019. Not a sure thing, but I've got better confidence that Noble ends up in that kind of mid 60s to, to high 60s range than I do in Nelson having another another great game, getting 70-plus points. I, I don't see it coming. Fair enough. Um, well, what about this one then, mate? What do you think about this one? You never agree in these in these rankings debates. Mate. You, ne- you always come up with something. So this week, Jed Anderson. Now, don't come and tell me about his injury concerns. He'll be fine. He's a young pup. He'll be back in the team, and his tackling form will continue. He's averaging 85 adjusted points this game. And look, Redden... I was telling everybody, get rid of this bloke because he's junk. And he comes up with one or two good games now that have gone back to, back to Perth and people think he's back. No, Shuey will be back soon. In fact, probably this round. And Redden will go into his yo-yo form where he you know, averages probably 80s. He'll have the odd game where he scores 100 and then he'll have a string of you know, 65. So this week, I'm going along with the Kangas, even though everyone's off their bandwagon apparently, and going Jed Anderson to outscore Redden. Look, George, this is... What's the saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And what about fool me three times? Because Kangaroos in their first match back from injury. I mean, it's a risky move. We've seen what's happened with Cunnington. We've seen what's happened with Jack Zebel over the last few weeks. I do like Anderson long-term, but he's got that extra risk this week that he um, does get injured or doesn't play his normal role. Um, He's averaged 85 adjusted fantasy points per game. So I think that he'll be that long-term, not this week. Um, I think um, Redden, look, we've spoken about a few of these Eagles um, that have had a hub slump and Redden's back. He averaged only 65 adjusted fantasy points per game in his first four weeks in the hub. But over the last two weeks, he's averaged 99 adjusted fantasy points per game. So one of those at home and one of those when he knew home was coming, he was getting excited. Um, he was a 90s average player over the last couple of seasons. And I do agree with you. Shui coming back might make a little bit of a difference, but I think being back at home in Perth for Redden makes a bigger difference. So expect him to be around that 90 adjusted fantasy points this week. George, let's go over to the forwards. Well, this one, you have to agree with this one. Look, Furson is junk this year and from a fantasy perspective. I mean... He hasn't come close to his 2019 form. And I have McPherson um, as a forward and he hasn't played for about four weeks. And I'm just too, too, you know, stubborn to drop him. So I think, look, he's playing his, his role for, for Gold Coast fine. But from a fantasy perspective, he's just not getting those points. And Jack Higgins, who nobody talks about, all the way down in spot 48, he's actually averaged 84 adjusted points this year. And he's coming up against the out-of-sorts Giants. So... You know, it's not exactly a tough matchup anymore, the Giants. They're, they're also lost their way a little bit. So I expect Jack Higgins to pit McPherson pretty easily this week. Look, George, I agree with you. This is the closest one, I think, so far. Higgins, 
though, has only been kind of a mid-60s average player in his career before this season. So he has started the season well. Um, you mentioned his overall average, but if you break that down, 88 adjusted fantasy points per game in his first four matches. He has slowed down, though. In the last two, he has averaged 76 adjusted fantasy points per game. So I think that's kind of that 70s and maybe a touch below that kind of is where he ends up for the year. McPherson agreed terrible to start 2020, but I think he will still get somewhere back to his 2019 average eventually. Maybe not quite this week. He gets all the way there, but I think he gets a little bit closer and he has his second 80 adjusted fantasy point game of 2020 um, this week. Let's finish up now with the rucks, George. So I'm going, I'm, I'm going to be a, a backyard bully here and go after Pitten at two weeks in the two weeks in a row. So, as we know, he started very well, but he's been very poor recently, including on the weekend. And this weekend, he comes up against Goldstein. So I don't see him getting much of the ball or many taps. And I actually think Laddams, who, look, I'm not suggesting he's a long-term play, but Scott Lysette will not play this week. Uh, and so I think he will, again, take and shoulder the bulk of the rucking responsibility. So for me, I think coming up against Ryder, because assuming he... Ryder and, and Marshall are the, the combo that the Saints go with. I think he'll do fine. So I actually think Laddams, um, for this week at least, should be started ahead of Pitnet. Yeah, this is a tricky one, George. I've got them ranked one spot apart at 19 and 20 in the weekly rankings. I don't have a huge amount of confidence in either. Pitnet has slowed down a lot recently, um, but still averaging 74 adjusted fantasy points over six games. That's a pretty significant sample size and a pretty decent score. So... That does include a whopping 93 adjusted fantasy points against Big Maxi Gorn back in round two. So he might actually do a little bit better with the tough matchup. Who knows? Laddams won great game last week, but averaged 66 points per game in his five games in 2019. So I'm not expecting an encore where he gets over 100 adjusted this week again. I think he's going to be closer to the 60s that he was last year. But we shall see. George, thank you for your time today. It, uh, I'm looking forward to finally having the lead in one of these great ranking debate conversations when we catch up next week. Fingers crossed. But uh, thank you for your time today. Thanks, mate. Good luck and good luck to everyone over the weekend. Thanks, George. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Talking Fantasy podcast. Make sure you check out all of those rankings on aflfantasyexpert.com.au. Until next time, see you everyone and good luck to your fantasy teams in round eight.